In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis of all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, and today I'm joined again by my veteran colleague, James Salzer, to talk about the primary runoff races at the top of the ticket. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So let's first go to the governor's race, uh, our favorite race. <laughs> We're almost at an end, at least to the second grueling Yay. phase. And this has been a really bitter and bitter is an understatement, but a yeah. really, really, really brutal battle between Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle and Secretary of State Brian Kemp. And those two men just have – there's no love lost between the two of them. Yeah, yeah. This is this is like uh, Michigan, Ohio State, Florida, Georgia, and uh, Alabama, Auburn wrapped into one at this point. There have been dueling calls from both their camps for federal federal prosecutions federal. Yeah. of the other. No um, there's been secret recordings and accusations of sexism. Men, mental health problems. Mental health problems and all sorts of just really bruising rhetoric. Shakedowns. I mean, we're hearing all sorts of stuff in this race. And voters, I think, are, are largely <laughs> either embittered by all this or just confused by these, these, these dueling accusations. Yeah, and I wonder, I wonder, you know, a lot of times we'll talk about these races, these kind of races being this bitter, that it may hurt turnout. Um, and I kind of wonder that because it's it's been it's either going to it's either going to embolden people to come out and vote and get really excited about it, or it's going to have the opposite effect and put damper on it. Yeah, well, let's talk about two of the bigger controversies involving these. One is, uh, of course, the secret recording, and this was a private conversation that Casey Cagle had with Clay Tippins shortly after the the May primary. Uh, T- Cagle thought it was an endorsement meeting with Clay Tippins. Well, Clay Tippins had a iPhone tucked into his front coat pocket, clicked the record button before the 90-minute meeting and sat down and talked with Casey Cagle, and then later on shared the some of the recordings with first the AJC and WSB, and later on with Kemp's campaign. And that has really rocked the race, specifically his talk about how he supported a private school tax credit expansion that he thought was bad, a, a, quote, a thousand different ways. And later on, another snippet, the one that was released by the Kemp campaign, said that he viewed uh, this Republican race as a race for the, in his words, the craziest. Uh, Kemp has leveraged that for all it's worth, has run ads about it, has mentioned it in debates over and over again, and has really tried to say that it shows that Cagle puts politics over policy. Right. If you, I think without that, it is a race in which Casey Cagle's political might, his financial, huge financial advantage, he's he's got a... Um, 
an incredibly strong uh, statewide um, kind of base. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just the average race of uh, you know it's somebody somebody's going to overwhelm uh, the opponent. But with that, it's like it's like you two guys go to a bar and have a couple of beers and start talking, and one of them hits a, hits a hits a tape recorder, and suddenly you're saying you're 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 you're, you're you're saying stuff that, like, you know, just talk between two people, but then suddenly it's out, you know, out in the open. I think that's, you know, I think that's the uh, um, that's the response the uh, lieutenant governor's office and many of his supporters have had is, you know, well, he's just talking. He thought he was talking in private, and you say stuff in private you wouldn't necessarily say in public. Yeah, and Cagle has really responded uh, much more angrily to this in recent days than he did even when the first recording came out a month ago. Um, after a recent debate... He called it evil. That was his words. He said it was evil for this recording to come out. Blamed not only Tippins and Kemp, but also the news media for writing about the recording. He said, "Who? what honorable person would tape a recording like this? He was then asked if, hey, uh, what, what, if, what if Brian Kemp was saying the same words on, on a similar recording? What would you do with it? He said, that's not the point. He said that uh, the point was that Kemp's campaign had, in his words, set up this whole thing, staged this against him to bring him down, to ruin him, and that that was why he was so upset about it. From our perspective, by the way, uh, the AJC and WSB broke the, the, the news of this first recording, and Kemp's campaign had nothing to do with it. But they did indeed send out the second recording about the, the race for the craziest through his campaign email. Um, the, re- the reality is it's naive to think that if... if uh you know, Kemp had been tape recorded saying that stuff that the lieutenant governor's campaign wouldn't have used it. Are they jump on an He may not. He may not. Say, he may say, you know, um, it's an outrage um, that this happened, uh, and it may or may not be. But the reality is, is campaigns get that kind of uh, if they get that kind of uh, uh, quote assistance, um, the people on his campaign would be going crazy. Um, wanting to put that out, it'd be almost professional malpractice not to right. not to use it. And and actually, Kemp Kemp waited a little bit. I mean, he he wanted to wait until the last couple of weeks of the race to really pump it up in a major way, and and had that ad where he directly addresses the recording on TV. And that ad, he put a million bucks behind or, or something around that that figure. Um, that's really trying to. Uh, not just get it out to the Metro Atlanta media market where most of the votes are, but but out in South Georgia and, and in West Georgia where there hasn't been as much coverage about the recording. Um, but the second big issue that Cagle is trying to, trying to use is an AJC report showing that Kemp took campaign contributions uh, worth more than about $320,000 from companies and individuals who work in businesses regulated by his office. And he says those, those campaign contributions are illegal. Right, and it's it's an it's an interesting issue because uh, the same kind of issue could be brought up in the insurance commissioner's race uh, and the PSC um, under state law. Um, you, uh, regulators essentially can take uh, campaign contributions from individuals in those in the lines of businesses that they regulate. They just can't take them from the businesses themselves. Uh, for instance, the insurance commissioner's office. Uh, if you get elected insurance commissioner, you can open up a bank account let insurance. People in the insurance and small loan businesses, they'll just dump money into it um, to support your campaign. Now you're regulating those people, but you're not regu- you're they're they're not they're not writing the checks in the name of the business. That and the secretary of state saw uh, in this case uh, with um, secretary of state Kemp, it was individuals who were regulated were giving. Um, 
money to his campaign. And I think his argument is, well, you know, these licensing boards, uh, the boards are appointed by the governor, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm essentially a, an administrator overseeing uh, the, the 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 boards, but I'm not really making decisions. Um, you know, the lieutenant governor is arguing, well, wait a minute, you know, uh, there's still people that you have, you know, your, your office is still regulating these people. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that, you know, that's a question of whether it's legal or not. Yeah, there is a gray area there, it seems. Um, and, and the State Ethics Commission is set to take this case, a case involving this up, I think, this year, maybe next year. Yeah, it won't be this year. <laughs> At some point uh, in the, in the not-so-distant future. Um, but the wrinkle that Kim's campaign also says is he's not running for Secretary of State. He's running for governor, and so that he views – he, he thinks it's permissible to take some of these donations. Uh, we interviewed every former Secretary of State that would talk, and only two did, and both were Democrats. Uh, but both of them also ran for higher office. Kathy Cox, who ran for governor, said she took every effort to not accept donations and turn down, you know, hordes of cash, in her, in her view, um, that she could have taken to help her primary campaign against uh, Mark Taylor, who ended up beating her, because she didn't want to look like she was violating any sort of state ethical code. And Max Cleland, who ended up running for the U.S. Senate, um, said that he helped push for a giant ethics overhaul uh, involving these types of contributions because of the uh, of the view that taking money from industries that you regulate would look like you're doing something untoward. Right. Well, I mean, it, it also is. It also it's a little bit hard. It, it's not necessarily hard to make that argument, it, it, but it is a little bit um, questionable when it's when it is coming from a candidate who has has collected so much money from uh, lobbyists at the Capitol who have who have legislation that they want um, passed. I mean, I've as a, as we've reported. I mean, there's lobbyists who will tell you, I'm congratulating Casey Cagle on helping to kill or pass legislation that they wanted. Um, I mean, that's the way that's the way things work over there. It's not you know, it's not shocking, but it but then to say, well. Somebody can't take money from somebody being regulated. It's it's there's a fine line between that and and you know and and Lieutenant Governor has pointed out to me uh, since I wrote that story that um, um, and he and it's true that the, he also gets money from plenty of lobbyists who don't get don't get him his support on legislation. So it's not a you mm-hmm. know it's not obvious that everybody it's not a question that everybody who gives him money gets something done. When I asked him about that at a at a rally he had up in North Georgia, his first answer was, "Well, look at Delta." Yeah. That's a good example. Delta uh, lobbyists gave him thousands of dollars uh, in campaign contributions and he might have given them the ultimate shaft yeah. earlier this year when True. he re- he he orchestrated the defeat of that tax break for on jet fuel. Yeah. Yeah, and the truth is, on the Kemp case, we don't, you know, we don't have proof that he, um, that that the can the contributions, the people he regulates, had any influence, or or you know had major. There was there was a case or two where we did you know mm-hmm. probe pretty deeply on it, but by and large, there is you know we don't know that everybody who gave him a check also got something out of it. So I yeah. mean, that's true in both cases. We're in pretty muddy territory. We've got a low low turnout expected. We've got an AJC poll showing the two candidates neck and neck, but with, with Kemp with a slightly within the margin of error. Um, and we've got both candidates really turning back to their main their main arguments throughout this race. For, for Kemp, it is trustworthiness. He's asking voters who they think they can trust to be the most conservative candidate out there. Um, and he's using this tape to try to prove his point. And you've got Cagle saying, who do you think is going to be the most competent, effective 
governor in, in office, and he's he's slamming, he's reminding voters that uh, of Kemp's problems when he was Secretary of State. He he released uh, the his office released. The, the, the confidential voter information of, of millions of Georgia voters to, to political parties and to media outlets. That was a big embarrassment. It's had all sorts of issues involving its oversight of, of, of voters, uh, of elections and, and voting machines. And uh, he's had personal issues involving lawsuits from a really struggling uh, agriculture business that opened a, a plant in Kentucky that has been, um, has been sort of a, a nightmare for that company. And Kemp personally is guaranteed a $500,000 loan for that plan expansion that has given him a lot of legal trouble. And he'll actually be in court the day after the runoff, July 25th, to deal with some of the fallout from that legal case. So there's a lot going on. Greg Bluestein here, sneaking in an update on the governor's race. A lot has happened since we recorded the podcast episode you're currently listening to. Since the original recording... Governor Nathan Deal endorsed Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle, and then, in a surprise move, President Donald Trump endorsed Secretary of State Brian Kemp. Also, Vice President Mike Pence is campaigning for Kemp in Macon. So how does this impact the race? Well, in a major way. Casey Cagle, who was the presumptive frontrunner, basically a juggernaut who had raised more than $10 million since getting in the race last year, is now the underdog. And he campaigned just like that over this past week. But there's also some really good down ticket races that we've also been monitoring here at the AJC, and one of them is the lieutenant governor's race. Right, right. And we, again, we have the, as in the governor's race, we have a poll showing um, a pretty close uh, Republican runoff uh, race between um, State Senator David Schaefer and former state rep Jeff Duncan. Senator Schaefer came very close to winning the uh, Republican primary without a runoff. He got 49%. Uh, you need fifty percent plus one, uh, and he he is by far the the greater fundraiser. He's got probably three times as much money as as Jeff Duncan does. He's worked Georgia for years, building up a strong um, political base. But Jeff Duncan is running a spirited campaign as kind of the um, underdog. He's kind of reveled in the the underdog issue. And he also has an outside, what Senator Schaefer would call a dark money group, an outside group that is funding campaign, uh, campaign against Senator Schaefer, accusing him of various malfeasance. Even even though Senator Schaefer has a 16-page financial disclosure saying how he's made his money and everything from real estate to stock, Jeff Duncan has uh, has raised issues about how he makes his living. Now, this is a tough one for both those candidates because, as you mentioned, Schaefer was this, it was so close within a hair uh, of winning this without a runoff. And when you get to a runoff for a a lesser profile race like this, a lot of the attention is on the governor's race and and on, and, and not on this 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 lower profile race. Um, it's hard for the candidates to, to get attention. This is a lot closer uh, than comfort for uh, for Schaefer. He's only up by by about four points over Jeff Duncan um, when he had such a commanding lead in the. In, in the primary phase of this race. Um, and so a lot of it, I think, is also coming down to electability. Senator Schaefer has gotten um, endorsements from, like, I think 99% of the political population in the state just seem like. And Duncan's uh, working his tail off, too, and he has that new ad showing showing him as this very likable 
former baseball player, and of course he's 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 doing all these sort of baseball puns and giving his pitch and trying to throw strikeouts and all that stuff. Um, Probably be smarter for him to do an Atlanta United related one. Yeah, <laughs> even more popular than the Braves That's these right. days. But he's he's also um, you know behind the scenes trying to say that 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 if Schaefer is elected, he will lose to Democrat Sarah Riggs Amico, who is a a true outsider. She's never held public office before. She's the Democratic nominee for LG. She's a she's a business owner. Um, who who has a you know very very much is trying to push an outsider appeal, and um, and and Duncan's final final pitch per se is all about that as about if Schaefer wins, a Democrat will will be the will, will retake the LG's office for the first time since 2006, and he's trying to say that there's all sorts of dirt to come out against Schaefer. Uh, he's even he's even question, requesting some of that dirt with that whistleblower website that right. he set up. The, the cynical reporter would say, if there's dirt, why hasn't it come out yet in this very right. heated Republican well, it's also, it's a, you know It's also, frankly, something we hear. Every runoff, Democrat or Republican, is, you know, um, like me because the other guy or the other woman um, can't beat the Republican or the Democrat. So that it's really not a, um, it's really not a surprising um, argument. And, and frankly, in that race, just as in the governor's race, I think a lot of the, quote, dirt if it was there would already be out because these are not um this isn't someone who just decided to run it doesn't have a staff it doesn't have you know people looking into their opponents i mean that's basic uh background research so um you know i'm not sure that i'm not sure that our arg- argument necessarily holds water and we'll go now to a third race that has been, a, you know, a little bit more cleaner, I should say, than the other races, but still pretty testy uh, runoff, is the race for Secretary of State. And this is one of those surprisingly very powerful offices in Georgia, the yeah, Secretary of State. nobody knows what they do. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll tell you a little bit. They oversee state elections, which is their most probably visible role, but they also handle business registrations, professional licensing. The job is really a mix of management and political skills, and um, the office is traditionally a launching pad to the governor's office. Each of the last four secretaries of state have run for governor. None have won. Whoever wins this race will have a a prominent platform, and then we'll face Democrat John Barrow, um, a moderate Democrat who, who, who represented one of the swingiest districts in back then in in the U.S. House, uh, this this sort of uh, conservative leaning district in East Georgia. At one point, it was stretched all the way from Savannah to like Atlanta suburbs. Last, the last white, excuse me, white male Democrat. White male Democrat in the yeah. Deep South yeah. in the U.S. Congress, and he's running a pretty moderate sort of consensus-driven platform. So, whoever the Republican who wins will have their work cut out for them, and it is a it is a surprising contest because everyone thought State Senator Josh McCoon would be would have a role in this runoff, but he ended up finishing out of the top two. So instead we have state representative Brad Raffensperger, a, 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 you know, sort of a backbench Republican who is self-financing a large part of his campaign and emphasizing his, his business uh, ties and his business experience against runner-up David Bellal, who is a former mayor of Alpharetta. Really, it's, it's a difficult race to... There's, there there's been a little bit of sniping back and forth uh, some kind of minor issues that have come up, but it's a hard, um, it's a hard race for people to get their their you know, arms around because the the one issue that has been kind of the overriding issue the last year in that office has been discussion at the legislature and the Secretary of State about replacing voting machines, and it's kind of hard to get too riled up about um, 
uh, for the average voter to get riled up about what kind of voting machine you have. But it's but there is a you know group of people who that's the mm-hmm. almost the paramount issue as as it, as some people the Second Amendment and and you know uh, voting rights and you know there's a number of issues that are like that. But uh, we hear very frequently from people who are very um, interested in having a vote a trail a voter trail. Um, Mm-hmm. When they go to vote, they want to have a piece of paper that says this is how I vote, so they have a record of it to make sure it was recorded correctly. Um, and that hasn't been the case in Georgia in the last what fifteen odd years. And so, um, but the thing is, everybody who's running pretty much supports that, right? Yeah. And so there's not much, there's not a huge difference between the candidates, but there, there, whoever wins will have to face those t- big decisions. There will be a new voting system. Georgia's elected leaders. Uh, they came close to it this year, but next year they'll probably put it over the finish line. But they want to replace the state's outdated electronic voting system with a new system that has some sort of paper backup. There's questions about professional licensing. The State Board of Nursing uh, wants to take control of its own investigations. And there's, of course, questions about voter confidence involving these lawsuits and questions about uh, voter fraud. Which I think is a bigger issue in the general election. But in the runoff, I I don't... I don't know that there is a whole huge amount of difference between the two candidates. No, and that's one of the big uh, uh, driving factors of the race. You you have uh, Belal making a big play, talking about the potential for fraud in Georgia's absentee voting system. Uh, even though that voting fraud is rare, he's saying it needs to be prevented. He's gonna he's gonna crack down. He says it's like a the, the potential for fraud is like a leaky bottle of water that undermines voter integrity. And Raffensperger is talking about those same issues, but he's also talking about his experience managing large organizations that have made him a millionaire many times over. Um, and by the way, he has been able to use that that money. He's pumped about $725,000 of his own cash into this campaign. And that's why you're seeing some a rarity, a lot, of, a lot of TV ads, at least in the metro Atlanta market, about this race for Secretary of State. Right. And that, in a race like that, that makes a difference because nobody knows who either of these guys is. I mean, not nobody, but, you know, it's not, a, it's not like they're household names. So the guy you know may be the guy you vote for. Got it. Well, James, thank you as always for keeping us up to date on these these three very important races. Well, that is all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. And as always, thank you for listening. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.